Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Walkable neighborhoods, plenty of green space, access to fresh, locally grown food, friendly interactions with neighbors. That is the concept behind an agrihood or an agri-community. There are two developments that fit this description underway right now in Iowa. Middlebrook in Cumming, that's in Warren County, and Dow's Farm Agri-Community in Lynn County. You may also think That sounds a little bit like the town I grew up in many years ago. The concept sounds like a throwback to some of the best parts of small-town living, but these new developments are near large urban centers. This hour, we'll explore this concept with people who are involved in these two developments and Courtney Long of Iowa State University Extension. To start us off, Dennis Reynolds is here. He is the owner of Reynolds Urban Design, designer of Dow's Farm in Lynn County. Hello, Dennis. Hi, how are you this morning? Good. Thank you so much for being here. And I want to start really with the definition. I described it a little bit, but when you're talking about an agri-community, tell me what that means to you. Well, it means that you provide an opportunity to live in a neighborhood that's integrated with a working farm. And so you have direct access to uh, interact with the the farm operations. Uh, You have the ability to have scenic views of the farming uh, and it, it creates a, a lifestyle that, as you say, uh, many people, in, including myself, as I visited my relatives, got to enjoy in uh, small rural communities around the Midwest. Tell me specifically about the concept behind Dow's Farm. <clears throat> well, we were, we were blessed with an opportunity where the land provided uh, characteristics that were really ideal for an agri-community. Uh, we had good uh, utility s- services in terms of sewers and uh, street infrastructure. Uh, we had a, a conservation corridor down a, uh, a riparian uh, corridor of the Squaw Creek. Uh, and we had an existing farm that had been very well managed uh, that was a great starting point for us. So for uh, Dow's farm, we wound up putting about half of the acreage into a conservation about a fourth of it set aside for the working farm uh, centered around the historic farmstead. And the remaining fourth was a series of uh, cluster of neighborhoods that, uh, again, were adjacent to the farm uh, and had uh, uh, direct uh, visual and physical access to it. And tell me how this design was settled on, because it wasn't necessarily the idea from the beginning. Yes, Right. Uh, the county originally uh, uh, approached uh, the project and said, we'd like to look at three options. Uh, one is a conservation development, two as a traditional development, and third as an agri-community. And so we studied all three concepts uh, and really uh, settled on the agri-community with some of the best aspects of conservation as well. Uh, we started working on this in the fall of 2017, and there was an extensive series of workshops uh, with a steering committee that was uh, very talented and experienced, as well as public open houses. So there was a lot of, of uh, input as we worked through the design concept. This is a concept that is being developed by the county. I mean, you're a private development company, but that sounds like a, it's a public-private partnership. 
Uh, yes, it is. And uh, I'm actually a design consultant. Um, the uh, So it, it has been uh, challenging to get all the players on board. So, yes, the county uh, owned this property. It was kind of a result of a larger uh, land uh, package that they acquired. Um, and uh, so they worked with a local development uh, developer, uh, Chad Pelly, and his group uh, to do the development portion on about uh, 40 acres. Uh, and then they're still working through the farm operations to find a, a operator for the farm portion. And then uh, they've also set aside the conservation portion to their conservation board. So you have described this uh, in in some conversations as similar to a development that might surround a country club or a golf course. But in this case, there's a farm at the center. But it also sounds like this is not meant to be an exclusive community or a development that is geared specifically toward uh, those in a higher socioeconomic uh, situation. Right. Yeah, you know, we used to back in the 70s and 80s do golf course communities, and it was a way to add value to the land to make the neighborhood development more valuable. Uh, In this case, uh, the farm is the equivalent of the golf course. It's a way to make these neighborhoods more valuable uh, because uh, we've seen over time that people love being connected with a a responsible, sustainable farm uh, operation on a smaller scale. So the, the farm adds value to the properties. Uh, conversely, early on, oh, 15, 20 years ago, the early agri-communities were really mostly very high-end housing developments. Uh, and uh, that was not a goal for the county for this property. Uh, the county, as well as, as well as myself, really wanted a diverse uh, series of neighborhoods that uh, could address all uh, price points and all lifestyles. So uh, it became uh, the extra challenge of creating these series of neighborhoods. There's about seven of them that have different products at different price points. So we had to really watch our budgets and really be very uh, efficient with our use of the land and of the infrastructure that served uh, the development. Now, I I grew up outside of a growing community, and uh, many of my neighbors were farmers, and a lot of the land got developed. And we found that as people moved out and were living closer to farms, they weren't necessarily fans of, of living next to farms. Is that a concern that people like the idea of living next to an agricultural operation, but maybe don't really understand it? Yeah, you know, our agricultural operations have changed so dramatically in the past 50 years. So I I look back at uh, the farm that uh, my grandparents had, uh, which was a small scale, and they had a little bit of everything, and crops and gardens and fresh uh, orchard uh, and fresh vegetables. And that type of farm uh, was a very desirable lifestyle, and that's the key to these agri-communities is that the farm operation is very much a throwback to the very small, compact, sustainable type of farm operation. Uh, as we were doing the master plan, we purposely wrote in some guidelines, for instance, that did provide some protections to the residents in terms of the use of chemicals and uh, odors uh, and things that might create a, a safety hazard as well. 
That also means that uh, you're looking for a very specific kind of farmer. And farming is really hard work. It's a hard business. A, a lot of people go into maybe a, a farm that, that with a CSA model, and um, that business may not necessarily thrive. Are there supports in place? Since you're, you're recruiting a very specific kind of business, are there supports to help that business thrive? Right. Well, uh, the, a nice advantage is that because the development is um, is making the the, the land uh, value uh, uh, profitable, it allows the, the farm operation to reduce the burden of uh, the cost of ownership of land on the farm operation. So that's a big burden for a farmer. So. Uh, that's a that's an extra uh, incentive for the farm operator. Uh, also, the ability to have some infrastructure in place that supports the, the farm operations. Uh, it's been really neat to see in the early phases a nonprofit uh, agreed to operate just three acres on the farmstead, and uh, it's mostly Hmong farmers who are used to working very efficiently, and it's it's been a very successful uh, first step to have three acres of fresh vegetables intensely farmed uh, on that property uh, in a sustainable way. Tell me a little bit more about why you see this as maybe a better way to develop. Of course, we know that as communities grow, they're going to sprawl. We've seen a lot of problems with urban sprawl. We've seen a lot of farmland um, used for developments and taken out of production. We've talked a lot about quality of life in a development like this, the green space, the connection to the land. That seems very positive. What are the other upsides from your perspective? Yeah, uh, well, you did a good job of summarizing it there. The And I, I'll say also, you know, the agri-community is, is not ideal for every parcel of land. It's a, it's a unique combination of characteristics that allows it to be successful. Um, but I do think uh, where it is available and possible, uh, the fact that you have a linkage to uh, uh, the food farm to table uh, directly, as you say, through even a CSA, uh, we toured Hendrix Farm uh, uh, in Canada, and uh, they actually had a, um, a, a very efficient and thoughtful way of managing the interaction between the neighborhoods and the farm because they found people showing up on a Saturday morning wanting to uh, pull weeds or uh, get the eggs from the chickens out of the chicken coop. So uh, people have a real desire to have this connection with uh, the land and with their food. Uh, And it's a a way of also building a sense of community. You get to know your neighbors as you uh, interact with the farm. Where is this development now? I know it started back in 2016. We know a lot of things have happened in the intervening years. Uh, tell me where Dow's Farm stands. Yeah, well, we're we're optimistic. We're going to see some real progress here this year. Uh, we had some uh, challenges. Uh, we had a derecho that came through and uh, really destroyed a beautiful uh, barn and uh, did some other damage to the uh, farmstead. Uh, we've had the interest rates that have kind of changed development. Uh, but uh, regardless, uh, the developer is working through the preliminary and final plats and has some engineering uh, drawings ready to go. So we're hoping that we see some things come out of the ground vertically uh, this summer for the first phase of the neighborhood. 
likewise, I think we'll see uh, action on the uh, farm operations to see if we can't get uh, additional uh, operations happening on that uh, about 40 acres of, of uh, land. Dennis Reynolds, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. Dennis Reynolds is the owner of Reynolds Urban Design, designer of Dow's Farm in Lynn County, which is an agri-community that is under development right now. This hour, we're talking about the concept behind these developments, agri-hoods and agri-communities. We'll find out a whole lot more in a few minutes. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Support for IPR comes from the Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about the Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are talking about agrihoods or agri-communities. They are neighborhoods or new developments built around to incorporate a working farm. We have talked about the Dow's Farm development in Lynn County, which is underway. There is another agrihood that is being built in Iowa right now. It's called Middlebrook, and it's in Cumming, which is in Warren County. And we're going to focus a little bit on that. We're also going to talk about the food systems that are part of these agrihoods as well. And you're welcome to join the conversation if you have questions or stories about encountering a development like this one, you can give us a call, 866-780-9100. You can email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And I want to turn next to Kaylin Ludwig, Realtor Sales and Marketing with Diligent Development, which is involved in the Middlebrook Agrihood Development. Kaylin, hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And so we spent a a lot of time already talking about Dow's Farm in Lynn County. Describe Middlebrook for me, the concept behind it. So Middlebrook is placed in Cumming, Iowa, kind of in between West Des Moines and Norwalk. Um, It's really a small rural town, and we're just excited to kind of expand on the integrity of what Cumming has been for years. Um, They're, you know, known for a small rural town. So we're just really uh, excited. We've started our farm several years ago, so we have about four acres um, garden that is farmed, have a garden stand, we have fresh eggs with chicken coop. Um, And then the residential side started, uh, I believe it was about 2020. And we have people living and playing in Middlebrook. So that's exciting. Um, Single family homes currently, and then we just started some villas and we have townhomes coming too. Um, We also just opened our first commercial property amenity in Middlebrook called Middlebrook Mercantile, and that's a great gathering space, um, wine bar, and has some retail. Uh, We just started coffee also in there, so great gathering space for the community. And tell me about the concept behind Middlebrook. Why start a development like this? Well, we really uh, were able to take a lot of our knowledge and passions um, We have a great background in agricultural um, with 
actually People's Company is a kind of a sister company to Diligent Development, but a national land brokerage appraisal firm and land management firm. So we're able to kind of take that mixed with our Diligent Development development background and also home building background and kind of be able to combine all those skill sets and knowledge. Um, And as we started hearing about agrihoods across the country, um, we started visiting them, uh, taking a lot of notes of what we liked about all of them and kind of that's how Middlebrook started. So I I understand um, the benefits to people who live in this neighborhood, but you're also bringing in a number of businesses that will attract people from outside the neighborhood. Tell me about how you see that developing and the, the benefits of that. Yeah, so I think you mentioned in the beginning of this episode that it's really a um, a throwback to the way towns were really started, you know, century ago. Um, you started with a town square area, some commercial. Um, you have higher density around that area. Walkability is a huge um, concept that we are uh, been planning for. Um, and then, you know, as you kind of get farther out from that central area, having a little bit larger lots or um, yard space. But green space, trails, um, and uh, community amenities are a big part of our planning and placemaking. Well, I, I want to bring um, somebody else who's involved in Millbrook into the conversation as well. Paul Rash is owner of Wilson's Orchard and Farm near Solon. And he is also now in the process of planting an orchard and building a business in Middlebrook. Paul, welcome. Thank you. And hi, Kaylin. Hi. So, Paul, tell me how you got involved with Middlebrook. I mean, you have a thriving business in in Solon, Iowa. Anybody who lives in this part of the state has been to Wilson's, and you have been building this business over years to to be much more than an apple orchard, although it is a a wonderful apple orchard. But you've also come up with many other ways for the public to interact with your business. How did you get involved with Middlebrook? So, I mean, part of our thinking behind Uh, moving to another location is really about our interest in exactly what you guys have been talking about. And that is, okay, we've sort of depopulated the rural areas and we have flocked to urban areas by and large. At the same time, we've sort of lost a lot of the community and traditions and stuff that went on. I grew up in a farm. You know, it, 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 it isn't all great, you know, let's be honest. Growing up in rural America... It is, hasn't always been great, but there were great traditions. There were great times of community and stuff like that. And while we can grow a lot of crops and do a lot of the stuff that contributes to sustainable agriculture, the community part is, is tough. And um, so when we first heard about Steve Brewer and Diligent Development and what those guys were doing, we thought, well, this is interesting because here we have this juncture of urban and rural communities coming together and it's not a it's not an easy fit okay let's be honest there's there's noise there's smells there's traffic you know with a with a operation like Wilson's you you know it, it's crazy in September and October so the, both sides of the equation whether it's the homeowner or the farmer have to sort of learn to live together and I think that's the challenge coupled with the potential of really creating some recreating I would say some of the great stuff of rural community like you were talking about earlier. No, of course, as our, our cities have grown, um, 
and our cities have sprawled, we have seen a, a lot of farmland become neighborhoods. And in this kind of development, we're not just talking about farmland in a generic way. Uh, this is attracting very specific kinds of agricultural operations. And so, Paul, moving into an area where, um, you know, you're part of this development, are there restrictions on, on what you can do as a farmer? Well, there are. There's restrictions both ways. There's covenants uh, in place. Um, so a homeowner coming in has to say, yeah, we recognize there's going to be some uh, farming noise and stuff like that. Where there's going to be, um, you know, agro tourism type uh, type activities. At the same time, the farmer has to understand. Well, you can't be, you know, making noise all time of night if you can get away from it. Um, you know, you might have to run an irrigation pump, but maybe you want to think about something that's quieter. Um, and certainly, you're not going to put something, you know, truly obnoxious like a confinement hog operation in there or something like that. So there are, yeah, there are sort of guardrails both ways. In thinking about, you know, an, an apple orchard, you invite people onto the property, you have hours in which you're open. Being in the middle of a neighborhood, is that a concern that people might wander the property anytime, day and night, go out for an early morning walk through the orchard? Well, it's it was honestly one of the biggest concerns I had going into this because in the fruit business, developers are not generally considered your friends, okay, because fruit growers want to be at the top of the hill so they get good air drainage, and that's where the views are, so they're always fighting against the developers for that piece of land. Um, so it didn't come natural to think about intentionally placing an orchard right next to a residential property. Um, we have a lot more concern about deer than we do humans. Um, so we've deer fenced the entire orchard already, and uh, it's it's already planted and stuff. So um, that will be sort of a natural barrier, I guess, to, you know, I would say we're certainly, well, let me put it this way. There's a lot of work that has to go into making an agrihood really successful in the truest sense of the word, you know, moving beyond a sort of token farm coupled with a uh, country club type homes. You know, we, we have to do a lot of work if we're really going to make this a sustainable sort of activity or, or, or residence uh, community, I should say. Um, and part of that is figuring out exactly this sort of question. Okay, how do you encourage people to enjoy the farm without having them, you know, climbing the trees in the middle of the night or, you know, kids will be kids. How, how do you prevent them from going out and doing something goofy? Right. That you wouldn't having an have. apple yeah. fight. Yeah. <laughs> apple fight. Right. So, and I'm not going to sit here and say, we've got all that figured out because we don't, this is a work in progress. And I think there's a lot of give and take that's going to have to happen to make this work. Now being in the apple business, I mean, there are a lot of different ways to grow every kind of crop. Fruit crops are, are kind of famously um, labor-intensive because there are so many pests that love to interfere with the process of creating a perfect apple. It, at Wilson's near Solon, I mean, you've already worked hard to try to few, use fewer pesticides. But, I mean, this is still an incredibly intensive growing environment. Tell me about your approach well, the first thing that we're doing a lot more of is diversifying. So, 
you know, we while we apples are still our main activity at Wilson's and they will be in coming as well, um, they're but one of eight crops that we grow right now. So and a lot of those crops are really grown with an eye towards something that doesn't need as intensive a management as, say, apples. Um, on the apple side, one of the things that is certainly happening, I see all around us, is sort of a localization, whether you talk about the sort of craft beer movement or the local foods movement. There's just a lot more interest in locally grown, locally produced stuff. And with that comes, again, a sort of dual responsibility. For the farmer, it means you have eyes on you looking at what you're doing. For the consumer, those eyes also tell them, okay, this guy's working or this woman is working really hard. Um, if there's a little blemish on that apple, can I live with that? You know, does it have to be as perfect as something coming that's scrubbed up from Washington or New Zealand or something like that? And I think, so it cuts both ways. And I think what we've learned is that the balance more and more goes towards us becoming really good stewards where we're incorporating as many organic practices, non-chemical practices as we can, whether it's pheromone disruption or, you know, letting grass grow under the trees or whatever it is. Um, and for the consumer to say, yeah, that little spot on the apple isn't going to kill me. Now, not even focusing so much on the use of chemicals in agriculture, which is, is something that a lot of people have concerns about. You use a lot of insects in agriculture, and I can imagine people thinking, oh, it would be so idyllic to live right next to an orchard, and then interacting with a lot of different bees, et cetera, and thinking, oh, this is not quite as idyllic. Is that, is that a challenge? I think it will be. I mean, for certain people, um, for instance, at Wilson's, so we have two orchards in, in and around Solon. One of them isn't open to the public, and we keep bees there year-round. We don't at Wilson's because we don't want those millions of, of stinging uh, critters necessarily interacting with our customers uh, when it's peak season. But that doesn't shield us from, you know, all sorts of other stinging insects, and yellow jackets are particularly love apple cider, it seems like. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think this interaction again with residential folks is going gonna, is gonna to take some work. And um, for us, it'll mean, yeah, we won't keep bees year round. We'll bring bees in for pollination and move them out. But honestly, most of our pollination happens with wild bees. And, uh, and we want to encourage wild bees. Those are the ones that really need protecting anyways. And so creating pollinator strips, creating areas where there are lots of flowering um, forbs and things that, that we can attract and, and keep bees healthy is an important part of our work. You know? And, and we, we kind of have to look at the broad framework of a sustainable farm as being it's not just about pollinators, it's also about insects that don't sting people, but we need them anyways. There's only, you know, two, three percent of the insects in the world that are causing us troubles. We want to encourage those 97 percent to to flourish. And that requires, you know, even in an apple orchard where we have, you know, uh, grass between the trees and all that stuff, we want to encourage a multiplicity of plants in that ecosystem so that we can keep, retain, and th and grow thriving communities of insects. That also means that doing a lot of education for the people who come there, right? It does. And I think that's one of the great 
things that interest us about this is it's a natural laboratory. You can't come to a farm. Well, you can go to a farm once a year and maybe not learn much. You know, you just eat some donuts and drink some cider and pick some apples. But if you're living there right next to it, I think the whole idea is that you're somewhat immersed in that, especially since a big part of these agri-hoods is, it's not just about the farm, it's also about green space and walking trails. And, you know, we're going to have pastured animals there and things like that, that are going to be sort of, I won't say seamlessly, but they will certainly be integrated into the larger landscape. And it will invite people to come out. And I think that's a good example. Say we have sheep there and you have, you know, young kids, 13, to 14 years old. Well, they're not always going to be the best behaved. And how do we deal with that? That's going to be one of the challenges that we have to face. Caitlin, uh, as a developer, is there a big part of of the education responsibility that falls on the development and on, you know, I mean, obviously people, people are going to build in Middlebrook, but people are going to buy into Middlebrook. Uh, is there some sort of process that, that you make sure that the people who are buying these homes actually understand what they're getting into? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, currently we don't have, uh, I'd say, a class 101 on how to um, integrate. Currently we have the four-acre farm. Wilson's is just adding, you know, the apple orchard and the other uh, produce that they bring. So I think some collaboration between Paul and, uh, and, you know, on the development side and sales side would be a great idea. Um, We are currently hosting community programming events and events events. teaching people about what is Middlebrook, what does it all include. Um, so there's opportunities like that. And then our um, farmer is also really starting to plan this year on more educational opportunities for the public and for people that live there. So definitely a work in progress, but I think you bring up some great ideas. Well, and, and Paul was talking about uh, traffic at Wilson's Orchard. Anybody who's ever been there knows about the, the traffic in the apple growing season. Is that also something that that you are concerned about, you know, bringing in really incredibly popular attractions that bring a lot of cars into the neighborhood? Yeah, again, a lot of our planning process has been around that. Um, I think the location uh, that Wilson's is on within the 900 acres that makes up Middlebrook um, is kind of on the outskirts of it. So we're not bringing people necessarily right through the heart of it all, um, which should help with flow and just, in, you know, residential areas that are coming and going. Um, but yes, it's uh, just like any urban area, traffic is always, you know, something that needs to be planned out with the city and, and everyone involved. Well, Kaylin, stay with us. Kaylin uh, Ludwig is a realtor, sales and marketing with uh, Diligent Development involved in the Middlebrook Agrihood Development. Paul Rash is the owner of Wilson's Orchard and Farm near Seoul, and he's also in the process of planting an orchard and building a business in Middlebrook. Again, that's in coming in Warren County. And in just a moment, Courtney Long from Iowa State University Extension and Outreach will join us as well to talk about food systems and communities like the ones we've been talking about. This is IPR News. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. 
It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are talking about a new kind of development. It's called an agri-hood or an agri-community where a new development is created with a working farm at the center of it, or maybe a couple of working farms (laughs) at the center of it. We talked earlier this hour about Dow's Farm Agri-Community in Lynn County, a development that's underway there. And we're also talking about Middlebrook in Cumming. That's in Warren County, a development that is under way there. With me this hour, Kaylin Ludwig is a realtor with sales and marketing with Diligent Development. That's a development company involved with Middlebrook. And Paul Rash is here, owner of Wilson's Orchard and Farm near Solon. He is in the process of planting an orchard and building a business in Middlebrook. And I also want to welcome Courtney Long to the conversation. She is manager of programs in the Food Systems Program at Iowa State University Extension. Hello, Courtney. Hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. And of course, we've been really focusing on uh, these specific developments this hour, although I realize your work is much bigger picture looking at all the communities that all of us live in and our relationship to food. Um, But I would love to hear your thoughts on agri-hoods and agri-communities. There are a handful of these around the country. It seems to be a, a growing trend. What What do you think about this kind of development? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're a unique development option for, as you've detailed with Dow's and Middlebrook, for groups that are really wanting to be intentional about incorporating agriculture into their community. I think they also highlight different tactics that we can involve in our everyday life. So, you know, whether it's the walking paths that folks have talked about or conservation programs, community gardens, um, being able to go out and have some education around where our food comes from. I think we see those in lots of different neighborhoods and communities, too, across the country. But certainly agri-hoods create that very specific space for those to occur. Right. I mean, uh, we have there are many communities that have really focused on trying to uh, integrate the kinds of things that we're talking about in agrihoods into existing communities because it does seem to to support uh, increase quality of life in, in such powerful ways and of course in in this sense we're talking about building a new development which is part of an urban area sprawling so i can understand that um there are people who are are probably thinking we don't need to take up more of the land outside of these urban areas um, for developments, no matter what kind of a development it is. Um, I do want to talk about, you know, we compared this maybe to a country club kind of development with a country club or a golf course at the heart of it. In this case, we're talking about a farm and and different kinds of amenities at the heart of it. Um, but I can imagine that in some of the agrihoods around the country and around the world, this becomes kind of an exclusive kind of development. What are your thoughts about that, Courtney? Yeah, I think it can be tricky, which some of the folks already alluded to as well. Um, land access is is hard to come by. And that's one of the constraints that we hear a lot from farmers, especially those beginning farmers that are wanting to get into a you know, sustainable ag or any type of um, production system. And so I think you know, agrihoods, while they may have space like a 40 acre at Dow's or the, the four acres that Middlebrook was mentioning or the orchard, thinking through how we preserve that land for agriculture and growing food for our future, I think is something that 
really needs to to have some attention um and also thinking through the ownership models of that or how we we keep that in in production for um, the next generations. Well, and I mentioned earlier, I mean, farming is is tough business. Farms don't always make it. Um, there are probably some of these communities, I can imagine, where the person who is farming the land may not be able to afford living in that community. Is that a concern of yours, Courtney? So I think from some of the research that we had done for an agrihood project several years ago, the, and, and someone had mentioned this earlier, too, is that kind of elite model that comes with this type of development, although it can certainly be done in other ways. Um, thinking through the values that a community has as they're developing their agrihood and their um, their policies that are in place and those types of things. So, so, yes, if the goal is around equitable food systems and those types of values, figuring out the wage for those farmers and the, the laborers on that um, in that space, I think is really important. Um, figuring out who has access to the food, um, where is that being located, the goals, I guess, around that business model, or maybe it's additional community garden spaces for food access and self-sufficiency. I think those are maybe more questions I would bring to the table um, when thinking through this type of planning. Well, and so we've we've talked about some of the the questions, some concerns, but I know that a lot of your work has focused around people having access to local foods and people being closer to the people who grow their foods. Tell me why that is important from your perspective. Yeah. So, and yeah, to dovetail a little bit with the conversation earlier, too, I think a few different things. One, it builds relationship between not only you and the farmer, but also how the food is grown, really getting connected with your community or neighborhood, um, understanding those aspects. I think we're, we live in a space that we don't always know where our food is coming from or how it's grown or Paul was sharing like the different types of insects in this case that are really like monumental and how the food is um, produced and what it looks like when it's on your plate. Um, so I think that's one piece where local or regional food systems come in is that relationship space education too on like different cultural practices, different ways of harvesting, gathering, um, accessing that whatever it may be, produce, meat, et cetera, um, is a is a key piece. But I think food is one thing that ties us all together. We're all eating every day. And so it's something that we we can we can connect with everyone. So we have seen in um, urban neighborhoods sometimes a community garden going into uh, a park that's in the neighborhood or into an empty lot in the neighborhood, turning that into a place for growing. So those are people who who didn't necessarily say, hey, I want to live next to um, a community garden or I didn't want to listen. I wanted to live next to an urban farm. But then they find themselves in this situation. How how do you see people responding to that kind of opportunity? Yeah, I think it can be mixed, similar to what we were talking about with agrihoods. A lot of times with those placemaking strategies and getting neighborhood involvement and like having those decisions made at the community level rather than it being like a top-down approach, there's a lot of buy-in and support. And then there can be individuals that are helping to design and develop that together, which I think then you see more appreciation and interaction and care for that space as it continues. Um, When it's maybe someone from outside the community that's just like pushing an agenda, I think then you get into some more concerns and perhaps that that space does not get the, the nurturing that it may need to flourish. 
Paul, I, I want to bring you into this part of the conversation because uh, you grew up um, in a, a rural area, you know, and we talked earlier about how in some ways this kind of concept is a little bit of a throwback to some of the things that a lot of us remember about life in Iowa. And I'm not going to pretend that back then everything was perfect because everything was not perfect. Not everything is perfect now. But um, when you think about uh giving people who live near an urban area or in an urban area the opportunity to live near a working farm or to to really have access to people who are growing food why why do you feel there's value in that well i think there's two maybe three components to that one is you know obviously the actual access to food that is picked uh, you know, fresh. It's picked ripe. It's picked at its peak. You know, I mean, there's a lot of marketing around that stuff. But the truth is, if you're not there close by, you're not going to get really uh, fruit or vegetables or whatever at their peak. It's just not possible. You can't transport it that way. So that's one aspect of it. Another aspect of it is just, you know, I mean, if you grow up in rural areas, you know, oh, yeah, sometimes there's too many bugs. Sometimes it's too hot. Sometimes it's too cold. But, man, when you get it right, you know, when you're outside and in a place without a bunch of houses and without a bunch of people all around you, it's just a great feeling. I mean, it's just a great environment, and it's great for kids, you know. And the third thing is just this thing about community. I I think it's really important that – these agri-hoods eventually or that are uh, residential areas in general start to incorporate way, you know, start to sort of reimagine uh, ways to get together, you know, ways to have fun. We just did a wassail, for instance, our fifth year doing this, and it's an old cider tradition at, at out of England. And it's just a gas. And every year more and more people come and it's dancing around bonfires, warding off evil spirits and a lot of stuff that, you know, may seem antiquated and quaint, but it was just fun. And every year we get the same people coming back because it's just we don't have a lot of ways to connect together. And I think that's a really compelling reason, as compelling for us as having a sort of new consumer base is growing this community whether it's in Iowa City area or in the Des Moines area. So I've been watching um, some of the things that that you've been developing at Wilson's, and I mentioned that you have, uh, in the time that I've been aware of Wilson's, you have diversified in in many ways and grown the business in in many ways with a restaurant, with event space, with different kinds of crops on the land. But I also was watching through the pandemic as, you know, it wasn't safe for people to gather indoors. Wilson's was one of the the areas trying to come up with ways for people to have that community interaction out of doors, which may have been pushed by the pandemic. But when I hear you talk about people uh, dancing around bonfires, it also seemed to tap into something that people feel like they've been missing. Well, I think we don't get outdoors enough. I mean, let's be honest, especially this time of the year. So one of the things we've been trying rather unsuccessfully, I might add, is to get people out for ice skating or, you know, sledding or snowshoeing or whatever, you know, and it's, we don't get enough snow all the time. It's not always cold enough. It's sometimes too cold. But when you get those choice moments and uh, when, you know, when you can just load the family up, get into the car and come out and just have a couple, three hours of just fun with a bunch of other people, I think it's just something that's really needed in our society. 
And uh, Kaylin, I know that that's that's the kind of magic that you're trying to create in Middlebrook and and the development is underway. What have you seen about those kinds of gatherings that that have been happening? Yeah, um, you know, I don't know if it hurt us or help us, you know, when we were a little nervous to uh, start these outdoor events during COVID. I think it was May 2019 was our first Friday at the farm. And it was honestly one of the only out, you know, events um, taking place where people were gathering at that time. But it was made it really special. Um, we have a lot of space people could spread out. But Friday at the farm is uh, during d- during season, May through October, I believe it runs um, every Friday after work. Um, we just do live music, food trucks, wine wagon, and a farmers market um, where we have about ten to twenty vendors that come out and. Um, it's just a it's a relaxed um, time for people to come together. Um, we've also been doing community programming classes where we're offering uh, different different things. We might have a wine t- tasting type class. We might do um, a pottery class. So just offering things where again people can feel that connection. And Courtney, uh, before we run out of time, you know, we've been talking about the the connection that people can have to their food systems and, and you know, the, the, the power of that. We've also been talking about very specific kinds of farming. And Paul, I know that you do have some livestock on Wilson's uh, and, and that's a planned part of the the Wilson's development in Middlebrook. But, but Courtney, um, I mean, people... People may love living next to an apple orchard. They may feel less comfortable living next to a livestock operation where animals are going to be used for food. We, we do kind of have a double standard about that kind of thing, don't we? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we do. That, um, that second part of how we actually get meat on our plate, it can be, can be tricky to talk through with people. Yeah, well, and I mean... Paul, how do you handle that? Because I'm sure people ask questions, and and there are animals that are harvested and eaten that are grown at Wilson's. But I think if we're going to eat meat, we should be addressing that issue, right? I mean, it's it's just exactly. a fact, and um, mm-hmm. it's it's part of this disconnect that allows us to ignore the fact that you know meat from Walmart is cheap for a reason. You know how how do you raise animals sustainably? How do you you know, what are their lives like, you know? And I think if you don't have those conversations, it allows a lot of uh, of sort of environmental costs to go unnoticed, unchecked. And as well, it just allows us to become, um, well, I mean, it, from my perspective, it, it allows, you know, a, a, an industry like sort of fake meat and stuff like that to, to come around without any real questions about, what is the impact of this in the broader scheme of things? And if we're going to really do sustainable agriculture coupled with sustainable living in, in this plant, on this planet, we really have to start asking ourselves some tough questions. And we have to, the, the, okay, yeah, kids, whatever, coming around and watching a sheep poop or, you know, whatever are going to, you know, they might get grossed out the first time and maybe the second time. Or they might have squeamish thoughts about, well, this lamb just became a lamb burger or something like that. But at the end of the day, it's part of our progress as a society that we need to address these sort of issues, I think. We only have about... Oh, go ahead. 
Sorry, I was just going to go full circle that I think in the agrihood, you also have the space to watch all of those things occur. And so there's there's again that like education opportunity that Paul's talking about that allows you to see all steps of the process, which is unique living in an urban community or something like that, that you just don't have that that intentional space again. And so if there's ways of incorporating, yes, what does happen to livestock before it turns up as a burger on your plate, um, I think that's something that we we do need more awareness of. Well, and, and Courtney, I was just going to ask you, uh, you know, uh, we've seen the local foods movement grow in a number of ways. We've, we've seen efforts to get people closer to their farmers and uh, to help people understand. Does this feel like an essential element in, in that, making intentional communities where people really can live next to people who are growing their food? Yeah, I think there are aspects of it that seem really intentional. Do I think every space needs an agri-hood? Probably not. But I think like all of the elements that we've been talking about today, having those incorporated into other neighborhoods and communities, cities, et cetera, I think I think is a great option for, for us as we move forward and try to, to try to understand how this all works. This hour, we've been talking about agri-hoods or agri-communities, new developments that surround a working farm. Courtney Long has been here, manager of programs in the food systems program at ISU Extension. Paul Rash, owner of Wilson's Orchard and Farm near Solon. And Kaylin Ludwig, realtor with sales and marketing with Diligent Development. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.